Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. It was February 2010, and I needed a job. I needed a job because in April of 2010, I was marrying this girl that I thought was really cute. And that motivation was really weighing heavy on me as April got closer and closer. But besides being young and in love and broke, uh, there was another pressure that I felt to get a job. I needed to get out of my apartment. I was uh, living with a guy. He let me live with him. Uh, and he was a super kind guy. He's a great guy. Uh, we, just, we just didn't really hit it off. We didn't really have a ton in common. Uh, I remember like the first night I got into the apartment. I'm walking around. He's giving me a tour. And he shows, I, I just noticed there's like pictures of him all around the, his own apartment. And there's pictures of him with his arm around these books in various locations. So I asked him, like, hey, man, like, what's up with these books? Like, what's, he said, oh, I love these murder mystery novels. There's, it's like the Cupcake Killer. It's like, you know, this kind of just really invigorating tale of this, like, woman who bakes and solves murders. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, why, why are you all over, these, all over the place with pictures of them? And he's like, well, like, I just, they're my companion. And so I go to these tourist destinations and take pictures with my companion. I'm like, Okay, that's, that's cool, man. That's great. I'm sure I have stuff you think is odd. That's cool. Whatever. As time went on, uh, I remember one night I was like just grabbing a quick bite to eat, and I was headed out the door, and he was like, hey, just to let you know, I- I've had a lot of roommates, and I've asked a lot of people to leave. He had my attention. Like, oh, well, well, why'd you ask people to leave? Well, the last guy, I really I, I wanted to be friends, and he didn't want to be my friend, so I, I asked him to leave. Oh my gosh, I really need to get an apartment. I need to get out of here. And so I had been searching online for months. And I had a little bit of experience as a teller, and I thought, oh, no problem. I'll be able to get a job at a bank. This will be great. And just months of just hearing nothing, filling out applications, sending in resumes, and just total silence. And April 2010 is getting closer and closer. I'm feeling desperate. And finally, I get, I get a letter from a credit union saying, hey, we'd love to interview you. Come on down, and, and we'd love to have a conversation with you being a teller here. So after I Googled what a credit union was, I was like, oh, great. This is fantastic. I get my one suit. I throw it on. I print out my resume. I put it in a file folder. Not 100% sure why. I just felt like if I walked in there holding a file folder, like they knew I meant business. So I've got my one suit. I've got my file folder. And Amy and I, I'm like, hey, let's hop in the car. I'll do this interview. It's right beside the mall. You can like walk around the mall. We'll touch base afterwards. Great. I'm headed. Finally, I have a way to pay for our extravagant lifestyle. As we pulled into the parking spot, I'm getting out of the car. And I will not. This is one of those moments that like it's just been forever like burned into our marriage. So if you, if you need help with just winning arguments, get your pens ready. So I, I'm getting out of the car, and she grabs my arm. And she says, wait, wait, wait. Before you head in there, we, we, let's pray. I was like, pray? No, no, no. Like, why? It's not some magical incantation, okay? I'm either going to get the job or I'm not. Like, let's just go. Yeah, she found it that helpful, too. And that's one of those things, like, even we're coming up on 10 years, and every time I'm like, hey, we should pray about this. Every time. Why? It's not some magical incantation. What are you doing? 
But what was happening that, mo- that morning, that cold February morning in that car, I actually think started me off on a journey toward honesty about prayer. See, I think in that car, I was actually being honest about prayer. Would I have gotten the job had we prayed or not? Let's say we didn't pray and I get the job. Now what? Does prayer actually do anything? Are we just, are we talking to anybody? Are we just talking to the ceiling? What's going on here? Prayer is hard. Prayer is also wildly discouraging. Some of us have been praying for the same thing, a good thing, year after year, and we don't get it. That's discouraging. That's wildly discouraging. And if we're not honest about how hard, how like discouraging, and how foreign prayer is, at best, we're just going to pray because we're trying to check it off of some duties list. It's going to become a performance thing. Well, I ought to pray. And at worst, we just don't do it. Nothing sparks stimulating, helpful, life-giving conversation like asking someone, hey, how's your prayer life? Like we all know, like, oh, I, like I, ha- I have time. I just don't think to pray. Prayer is like this foreign thing. I mean, psychologists, sociologists all said like, hey, prayer is this kind of like social construct that as society progresses, uh, we'll leave it behind. It's just a crutch. That's not true. Prayer's not going anywhere. One, one poet said that prayer is as common as a human experience as eating. Prayer is everywhere. People everywhere pray, but yet it's still so hard, so foreign, and so distant. And we need to be absolutely honest about that. We're going to be kicking off a series within the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. And the very first step toward a praying life has to be admitting the difficulty of prayer. Giving ourselves permission to sit for a while in the fact that prayer is hard. Prayer is, even if we're being honest, it's a little weird. Like, can we as normal people, is that something we can really chase after? Like a deep, meaningful, rich, life-giving prayer life? Is that available for me or is that just for like the professionals? Like, hey, we pay the pastors. They're supposed to have the prayer lives. I got a job. I don't have time to unplug. And so Jesus, in the passage that we're about to read, sets a posture for us of how we can enter into this difficult space. Here's what Jesus says. The first step toward a praying life is to stop praying. The first step to really embrace praying is to not pray at all. It's to actually sit in silence before God. We are a generation unlike any other generation that has come before us. We have more noise. We have more messages. We have more more things shooting into our ears than any other generation that has come before us. And it's messing us up. 
All right. I wasn't with you the last time you were at the grocery store, but I know what you did. The last time you were at the grocery store, the last time you were at the line of the DMV, wherever you were where there's a line, you hop into the line, you realize you're going to be standing there for a minute, and what do you do? Look, just if you want to see something wildly terrifying, next time you pull up to a red light, just look around. <laughs> it's like, yo, we're operating vehicles here, folks. What's going on? Like, what is happening? You know what's happening? We are terrified of silence. We can't do it. And so the first step toward a praying life is to embrace silence. And boy, oh boy, is this ever a relevant time to embrace silence. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you an immediate opportunity to practice what we're, we're talking about here. I'm going to read the passage. We're going to read it together. And one of the things we do around here is when I'm done reading... I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can all reply, thanks be to God. And then instead of praying, we're going to sit in silence. Why are we sitting in silence? Because I don't, I don't want to just go on cruise control. Oh, this is, this is the time to pray. We pray now. Let's just pray. Paul. You heard of him? Paul's the guy that met Jesus on the road to Damascus, wildly converted writes a lot of the New Testament, brings the gospel throughout Asia and Europe. Here's what Paul says about prayer. Romans 8. We don't know how to pray. So we're not going to pray after we read the scripture. We're going to sit in silence. And we're going we're to take a cue from the psalmist in Psalm 62.1. This is the river that flows into what Jesus is talking about. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. So we're going to read the passage, and for God alone, we are going to wait in silence. Here we go. Sound good? See, you're already embracing silence. How great is that? Sound good? Yes. All right. Here we go. This is Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in their street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I'm telling you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your room and shut the door. Pray to your father who's in secret. And your father, the one who sees in secret, he will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the word of the Lord. For God alone, my soul waits in silence.
You still good? That was a minute. In order to get the full weight of what Jesus is inviting us into, we have to understand a little bit about what he was pointing at when he says, hey, when you pray, do not be like them, hypocrites. In our Midwest sensibilities, Jesus is being what we would call confrontational. He's not saying like, hey, I super appreciate the fact that they're praying. Prayer is important. I would just add a few tips to like maybe like sharpen up what they're doing. None of that. He feels about as nuanced as a wrecking ball. He's like, when you pray, don't pray like these phonies. Whoa, that's radical. That's confrontational. And, and we don't even actually really feel the full weight of what's going on. See, at this time in Israel's history, Israel is in what's called exile. Yes, they may have been in the land, that hunk of real estate in Palestine. They may have been there. But what was happening was, though, they didn't really own the land. They were under Roman occupation. If you think you can complain about your taxes, you've never been under Roman occupation. These people were getting taxed out the wazoo. And then on top of that, people were stealing from them as they were taxed. They, weren't, they didn't have the rights of full Roman citizenship. They were treated as less than. And so they were waiting for God to show up and rescue them. And that's who Jesus is pointing to. These people would have been community heroes. We know what they were praying. They're praying this prayer called the Amidah. The Amidah is a prayer that you pray in exile. And it's, it, it has, it's a long prayer. And we know that Jesus was kind of picking on this because part of the Lord's prayer that he teaches them later kind of echoes some of the Amidah. But here's what they were praying, things like this. Hey, Lord, while we're in this tough situation, help us to be faithful to your word. Hey, Lord, come quickly. We're in exile. This is really hard. But what does Jesus say about these people who certainly probably had the respect and fear of the community? Don't pray like them. They are fake. Here's what he's teaching us. The first thing he's trying to help us see about prayer is your posture in prayer is way more important than your prayer. Your posture is more important than your prayer. What was Jesus getting at here? He says this in verse uh, five. He says this, they like to stand in their synagogues and on their street corners. Why? That they may be seen by others. That they may be seen by others. What's wild and amazing, Jesus is getting at here the heart that was driving their prayers. And he's saying, look, I am not impressed with your religious acts. I couldn't care less. I care about the heart that's driving those acts. That's pretty wild. But he takes it a step further and says, look, they just want to be seen. But notice he does not criticize the desire to want to be seen. He's not criticizing these people because they want to be seen. Because he says this, they have their reward. Go in secret where your father will see you in secret. He's saying this, they want to be seen, but we should want to be seen by someone greater They're giving the community all this weight 
when God is the one who has weight and they're missing out on a real reward here. They have their reward. They're being seen by others. Go lock yourself in a room and be seen by the one with weight. The desire to be seen is a human desire. If you don't believe me, just just go around and ask until you find a stay-at-home parent, okay? Find a stay-at-home parent and then ask this question. Don't really do this. I'm, I live half my life with my foot in my mouth. I'm trying to help you all avoid that. So this is a moment I can help you avoid living with your foot in your mouth. Say this to a stay-at-home parent. What do you do? And just feel the, the weight in the room. Well, like, what I do is really important. Uh, you know what you're watching? Someone who knows that they do something that's really important, that really has a big impact, not just on their family, but on the community at large, but society doesn't see them. Society doesn't care. There's a fantastic book. Well, it's it's an okay book, but it's a book called Utopia for Realists. Hang on. Where in Utopia for Realists, they talk about if we measured the GDP differently, like if we measured the impact stay-at-home parents had on society— GDPs would go through the roof. We just don't measure it. We don't care. And when you talk, when you talk to a stay-at-home parent, they feel the weight of not being seen. And there is nothing wrong with that. That is a human experience. We all want to be seen. That's why we have Facebook. Facebook is a place where we cultivate being seen. We want to be seen. We want to matter. But here's what Jesus is saying. These people are being seen not for who they really are. They're being seen by what they think the the community wants. And he calls them hypocrites. Now, we use that word a lot. Oh, so-and-so is such a hypocrite. Meaning like they they say one thing and they do another. But in Jesus' day, that's not what that word meant. That just meant actor. Like literally actor. Actors were called hypocrites hypocrites. So Jesus is saying this, don't be an actor. If Jesus is telling us not to be an actor, what's he saying? Be your real self. Be you. Well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. We need to take time to get off the streets, get out of the synagogue, and go to that secret place with God and be silent. Psalm 62.1 For God alone my soul waits in silence. The religious leaders thought they were serving the community because they were giving the community what they thought they wanted. But Jesus really shows up and actually serves the community. He's saying this, look, that's not what you need. You don't need a show. You don't need a performance. You actually need to be seen by the one who really matters. And that's what silence is. Silence, going into that room, getting off the street, shutting the door, being alone with God, gives you an opportunity to meet God where you are, to not be the actor, to Get away from the eyes that are looking, the pressure that is pushing you to live a certain way. There used to be this fantastic record store off Broadway. 
Well, it wasn't fantastic. It closed down very quickly. But uh, they had a great poster in the back there. Jeff Tweedy, lead singer of Wilco. I I just remember the record store because of this poster. And I went to go get the poster, and the record store was closed. Uh, But the the poster was, I don't know if it was about Columbia or just college towns in general. But it said something like, I love towns like Columbia. Without towns like Columbia, with independent college radio, I would have never really broken in, and my music would just be left in my garage. It's like, wow, yeah, Columbia, this is fantastic. Go back, store's closed. But Jeff Tweedy, though, made this statement, and it's really honest, and I don't think he's a person of faith, but when people make statements like this, we need to listen and say thank you. Here's what Tweedy says. Theologians, people who think about God for a living, they don't know nothing about my soul. Theologians, they don't know nothing about my soul. We think about God, we talk about God, and then there's a massive gap between that and where we really live. Silence is an attempt to close that gap. The reason that we are uncomfortable at stoplights at grocery stores, sitting in silence. Because we're not really sure what's going to happen. What anxieties start to come to the surface? What fears? What are the, what are your have to list? Oh, I have to do this. I have to do that. Oh my goodness. I said this to someone. I hope they didn't misconstrue that. All these fears and anxieties start to rise up. And we'd rather not deal with it. So we grab our phone. Augustine. Augustine once said this, Grant me, Lord, that I may know myself in order that I may know thee. We need to embrace silence so that we can be honest before God, before the one with weight. This is not an exercise that we do just to get to know ourselves. But we are trying to get to know ourselves because that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to bring us to him. Not the us we think our communities want to see. And if we never unplug, we never really know who that us really is. The psychologist and professor Jonathan Smallwood said this about our brains. Being quiet, so moments of silence and moments of boredom allow us to do what he calls autobiographical planning. When we're quiet, when we're off the street, when our phone is away, we start to ask questions like, what am I doing? I thought I'd be at this job for two years. I've been here a decade. What do I want my life to look like? Why am I the way I am? Am I who I want to be? For God alone, my soul waits in silence. So that's very nice. That's very lovely, right? Silence. But how do we actually really do this? Like, Craig, are you asking me to, like, pull myself out of society? Like, I got a job. I'm a student. I'm trying to build a craft here. Like, how in the world do I have time to do what you're talking about? Well, let's first, let's, let's, let's weigh out what I think Jesus is inviting us into. First, how do we practice silence? We find a quiet place to unplug. 
That's what Jesus means when he says in, in verse 6, go into a room and shut the door. Find a way to just get away. And find, let that place, that secret place, be your place. Okay, my, my quiet place is a blue chair that we have. We got it at an estate sale. It's this total granny, old lady-looking chair. It's awesome. I love it. And when I see it, I know, okay, that's where I go to just be quiet, to be alone. I like walking past it. I'm like, there, that's my chair. That's my place. Find a place for you, wherever that is. And let it be a rhythm that, hey, this is my place. I go to unplug. And so here's what I'm doing. If this silence, if that sounds foreign to you, if that sounds uncomfortable, if that sounds weird, here's what you can do. You need to create a regular rhythm. Okay, like this is not something that culture is pointing us toward. This is not something even like the church is pointing us toward. This is an unnatural rhythm. If we just do it once, it's like, well, that was cool, but I don't really get the benefit of it. It's kind of like, it's like, hey, you don't like to eat vegetables, right? Yeah. Well, have you tried kale? Like, dude, I I said I don't like vegetables. Oh, yeah, just eat kale every day. Like, that is not going to help me develop a love for vegetables. It might, it just is going to be the hard way. Here's what we do. We want to develop a rhythm, but we want to ease into it. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is not about trying harder for Jesus. It's recognizing our weakness and our humanity and training, working toward. So here's how you can start out with silence. Twice a week, one time in the beginning of the week, one time at the end of the week, go to your secret place, your blue chair, sit there for 10 minutes. Just set a timer, start your phone, throw your phone across the room. Or just say, hey, Google, give me a 10-minute timer um, and just be for 10 minutes. Here's what's going to happen. Oh, man. Here's what's going to happen. Around six minutes, you're going to be like, ah, so the timer's broken. Certainly, this, is, this, is like, this has been like an hour or a year. Ugh, it's not working well. And you're, you're going to get through it. You're going to be like, I don't know why I did that. That was totally pointless. I have no idea what, what in the world that was all about. So here's what you're going to do. Write down how you feel. Just, just uh, keep a piece of paper handy and write down. Day one, felt nothing. Super weird. Craig wasted my time. Okay? And then at the end of the week, another time, 10 minutes. Just sitting there for 10 minutes. Go through it. Write down how you feel. You know what? Here's what's going to happen. What happened to me, I would suspect I'm not like crazy different from everybody. What happened to me is all of a sudden, the first time I did it, I was like, oh my goodness, I need to email so-and-so. I need, oh, I, I said I was going to do that. I got, I, all my to-do list just poof, came out in that silence. And I wrote it all down. None of it was really important. Except if you were the person I was going to email, that's really important. But really, none of it was super important. And then I stuck with it. And it was hard. It was weird. I didn't understand what I was doing. And after a while, I looked back. I'm like, oh, you know what? He really does reward. This is what he says. He says that your father who sees in secret rewards. What was the reward that the religious leaders were looking for? It says they prayed in public because they wanted to be seen. They wanted people to, to, hey, look over here. Look what I'm doing. God says, yeah, they got that reward. What's the reward? Flip side, when you go into the, into silence, when you go in that quiet place, God sees. And he really does. Book of Hebrews says that we must come to him believing that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Silence lets you really experience that. 
I mean, I was quiet. This is what this is like an hour of my life. I was quiet all these times, and then I I felt God show up here. I know He saw. I know He saw. I was waiting, and He came. Saint Bernard is who was a person, not the dog. Uh, Saint Bernard once said this: "God is not sought in vain." even when he isn't found. By first finding a quiet place, by then making that a regular rhythm of your life, uh, and then journaling, writing down how you felt when it ended, you get to experience this, that God is not sought in vain, even when he isn't found. You get to ask yourself tough questions too. And you get to bring those before God. Silence is just being who you are before God. Now, I know what you're saying. Like, okay, look, I, maybe this is important, but you do not get it. I really don't have time. I'm a student. I'm a parent. Uh, if I just unplug, even for 10 minutes, bad things happen. Things go off the rails. That's absolutely, I, that's, you're right. And, and look, I totally buy that. I just want to invite you, though, before you really totally believe that, just take out your phone. If you have Android, all you need to go is to an app called Digital Wellbeing. If you have Apple, just click on Settings and then click Screen Time. And if that's above 45 minutes, I don't believe you anymore. We have time for this. It's just not natural, and it's hard. Everything in life is pulling us away from silence and solitude. And look, it's odd, right? Like, if you know me at all, I'm a really loud person. Like, I am super proud of my three-year-old son's musical taste. He has fantastic musical taste. He likes Radiohead, Prince, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's great. I love that because I'm loud. When I'm with him, there's music. There's tons of noise. And he's picking up on it. It's fantastic. But I'm saying, like, even I, as a loud person, am learning that without silence, things careen out of control really fast. And you're saying, like, yeah, but, like, well, what's the point of this silence? Like, why are you encouraging us to be quiet? What's the point of all this? A couple years ago, uh, my wife's grandfather passed away. And so we went to Taipei to pay our respects. If you've never been to Taipei, you absolutely have to go. It's like Honolulu meets Manhattan. It's awesome with amazing food. And so we were in his room, and I found a journal of his. I don't know if I should be saying this, but I found his journal. I'm reading my, my wife's grandfather's journal. And there was this amazing quote in his journal. It says this, If you feast every day, you feast no days. What's he saying? He's saying this, The point of silence is not to pursue a life of solitude where we're not around anybody and we're quiet all the time. Just like if we're having a feast, that's not something that's a regular rhythm of your life. So for example, let's just say this. Let's say Amy early tomorrow morning texts me and says, Hey, Craig, friends from out of town are coming to visit. And so we're going to just totally go all out. We're going to get all your favorite foods and we're going to have a party, right? So we're going to have dim sum. There's going to be clam pizza. Like, oh man, it's going to be fantastic. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. So I'm at, so what do I do? Well, I go out to breakfast with somebody. We go to Denny's. I get two Grand Slams. 
I'm feeling a little sluggish. So then I like have a Nature Valley bar in between lunch, go out to lunch, get just like the biggest hunk of protein I can find. Just consume it, right? I'm feeling really sluggish mid-afternoon, so I just down two Butterfingers. Poof! I'm ready to go home. I get through the door, and Amy's like, hey, here's our feast. Like, we got our friends here. Here it all is. It's just a beautiful spread. Here it is. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, you would, you would not believe the day I had today. I got to sit this one out. No. I needed to prepare and make adjustments for that meal, which was way better than anything I could have experienced. That's what silence is. Silence, we don't unplug to always live unplugged. We live unplugged to better go out and love God more meaningfully and to serve others more truly as who we really are. The point of silence is not, hooray, let's leave society and let's hate everybody and let's just go be by ourselves. That's not what Jesus is inviting us into when he, when he says, hey, find a secret place and be alone with God. Unplugging, the point of unplugging is to go back reinvigorated. Reinvigorated. Are there risks in being by yourself? Absolutely. Do I think that as a culture, we are like too close to those? Like, like hey, we're by ourselves and we're running into those risks? No. I think we're so inundated with messages, we need to like err on the side of like maybe a little too much silence. Uh, throughout church history, uh, in the early church, there were people who would leave society. They would leave society to, to, to pray for society. They were called hermits. And there's a story of this one hermit. His name is Hero. And Hero was like kind of a legendary hermit. He didn't like anybody. He was hardly around anybody. So they would like regularly do these like hermit potlucks where everyone would bring like their favorite hermit dish. The hermits would get together, eat it. And they noticed that a couple of these potlucks, like Hero wasn't around. And they were like, Where'd Hero go? We haven't seen him for a few months. Is he okay? And so a bunch of these hermits were like, let's go looking for him. So they find, they happen upon a well where they just hear this like moaning from inside the well. Like, and they look and Hero's at the bottom of the well. Oh my gosh. And so they, they get Hero out of the well and they, they get him up on to the ground and they're like, Hero, what's going on? Are you okay? And he's like, I'm fine. I, but he was dying. His ribs are all broken and he's dying. And like, Hero, what, what if, how'd you fall in this well? He's like, I jumped in. Why did you jump in the well, hero? Oh, God told me that he wanted to test my faith to see if I believed him enough to just jump into a well. Hero, buddy, I'm pretty sure God did not tell you to do that. See, there's real danger of being by ourselves. When we don't have any other voices speaking into it, we can go off the rails real quick. Are we in danger of that, most of us? No. We are in danger of living with everyone always seeing us in this weight So yes, will we need to course correct if we embrace silence too much? Totally. Are we near that? Probably not. That's why, as a church, we have and believe in community groups. So look, after you find a quiet place, after you commit to regularly being in that quiet place before God to be seen by him, you need to ask someone to do it with you. Say, hey, I have this pastor, and he asked me this really weird thing. Will you do it with me? I think it would make it feel less weird. And here's what you do. Say, hey, we're going to be quiet together twice this week for 10 minutes. I'm going to do it. You do it. And just let me know how it goes. That helps protect us from going off the road on the other side, knowing that we're doing it together and we're debriefing afterward. So we're finding a place to be quiet. We're committing to a regular rhythm. We're going to ask others to do it with us. That's why we have community groups. Look, like, 
if this is the only place you're getting spiritually fed, you're probably going to be hungry throughout the week. Community groups are an area where, hey, we take a break from the hustle and bustle, and we know we're not doing it alone. There's other people wrestling and struggling with us. So find a community group and say, hey, how did you feel about the silence? Are you doing it? Yeah, I'm doing it. It's crazy. I'm not doing it. That's crazy. Talk about this. Do it with other people. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount series, another thing we're doing as a church is uh, the first and third Saturday of every month, we're taking time to actually learn how to do these disciplines. They're foreign to us. They're unusual. And so the first and third Saturday in this room, we're coming together and we're learning, okay, I, I think I'm doing the silence thing right. How, what's been your experience? We're talking about it together. We're learning together because we don't want to do this alone. Sheila Walsh uh, was a singer-songwriter, like the 70s and 80s, and she was like rising to fame. Uh, and as she was like traveling around, she was opening for these bigger acts, and she was getting bigger and bigger. Uh, and then finally, uh, her music career, she felt like she had taken it as far as it could go. And so she got a talk show job on TV, like not like the Today Show, but like it was nationally broadcast, and she was kind of a big deal. And she talks about, in her memoir, she talks about how there was one day where they were filming, and this is the 80s, so I'm not, I'm not making fun of her. This is her own words. She had her bright, bright blazer on and her poofy hair, and her heart was breaking. And she could feel herself having a nervous breakdown. She's getting anxious and anxious, and that night she ends up checking herself into a psychiatric ward. And the attending doctor started asking her a series of questions that night. Who are you? Was a question he asked her. To which she replied, oh, yeah, I know. You probably recognize me. My name's Sheila Walsh. I'm on TV. You know, it's not that big of a deal, but yes, that's what I do. And, you know, that's who I am. And the doctor looked at her and said, no, no, no. Who are you? Well, I'm like a singer-songwriter. I kind of had a little career, like, you know, traveling around, singing. I'm pretty creative. That's what I do. He said, no. Who are you? To which she just replied, I don't know. And he said, I think that's why you're here. Unplugging lets us do what what Smallwood says, that autobiographical planning. Asking these questions, who am I? What am I doing? And asking them before God. Just sitting in silence before him. Look, when Jesus, the next thing Jesus says about prayer is like, hey, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the pagans do. Now, of course, none of us know anyone. You've never, I'm sure you've never been in a prayer meeting where someone's like, oh, Lord, Lord, we just, Lord, we just want to thank you. Lord, Lord, you're just so, Lord, you're just so good and majestic, Lord. And Lord, we just, Lord, it's like, I think he knows his name. We got it. Okay. Jesus says, don't heap up empty phrases like that because they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. We're being seen by the one who knows what we need before we ask. If it's possible that God knows what we need before we ask, is it also possible 
that he knows what we need before we know what we need. Silence just lets you ask the questions. Silence stops all the input, all the consumption. Look, we have stuff to make noise everywhere, all around us. And silence says, hey, for this brief time and as a regular rhythm, I am going to stop all this input and I am just going to be before God because that's what he invites me into. See, when we embrace silence, we're also able to take risks. Like when we don't need to be seen, when we see, oh, you know what? Like I thought being seen by these people mattered so deeply. But now I'm actually seen by one with more weight who matters more. Man, I can take risks. But if we never unplug, we don't actually embrace that at all. We're just trying to maintain, and it's impossible to maintain. I think that's why Jesus is being like a wrecking ball, because it's so, there's so much at stake. If we really just keep going, we're going to keep chasing after being seen by people who, if we're being honest, aren't even really looking. We don't unplug because we want to get away. We unplug because we want to ask questions. What am I doing? Who am I? And we want to experience being seen by the God who is weight. Glory. That's, where the, that's what the word glory means. The word glory means weight. When God sees you, you experience his weight. That's why we embrace silence. Father, help us to do this. Lord, there are so many voices tugging, so many directions we could go in. Lord, help us to do the tough work to be quiet before you. Father, thank you for your son who invites us to live the way he lived. I ask it in his name. Amen.